in September, which means next week is October 1st, and we're going to start, like Pastor Chad said, our last word series here at, at RBC as we approach our final gathering on October 29th. Um, a few of the men who have gone through our elder cohort who, or who are currently elders have been asked to prepare and preach a sermon this month. So like he said, for the next five weeks, we're going to have the privilege to hear from these brothers their last word to us as a church. And I, I personally look forward to hearing from each of these brothers. I've been blessed by their ministry, and I know that I'll be challenged and blessed by their last word to me. This morning, I will be, we will be in 1 Thessalonians 5, and we're going to be looking at one simple verse, a familiar verse, that at face value doesn't seem like much. But we will find this morning there is so much to be found in verse 17, pray without ceasing. Now, as I was thinking and praying about where to go in the scriptures this morning, the, the Spirit brought to mind this passage, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Now, if you read it in the Caleb Standard Version, it's pray, 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 pray. Now, some of you might catch that. Some of you don't. That's fine. But a few months ago at a members meeting, I was encouraging us in this season to pray. And I said it like 15 times in a row, and it sounded actually worse than that. But don't worry. I didn't get away with it because uh, a certain member here, named, I'm not going to give names, EJ, but a certain member here brought it up in a conversation and uh, gave me grief about it. So I actually stand behind all 15 times, and I'd say it again. Pray. But seriously, as I said then, and I'll say it again now, it's time to pray. We need to be a people who pray. Today is a transitional day in a lot of ways. For one, we're not in October yet, but October is coming, and I want to get us there. And Lord willing, I want to prepare us to walk through there and after there in as faithful of a way as I can and as Christ-exalting of a way as I'm able. Because I know that many of you feel the weight of October and the weight of the months that follow to varying degrees. You have a lot of unknowns in your life, let alone all the unknowns when you look ahead. Many of us feel uneasy. Many of us feel ill-equipped. We feel frustrated, concerned, you name it. Somebody's probably felt that here in our church over the past few months or will be feeling that in the coming months as we come to our final gathering together and beyond. But in a greater way, I view this morning, this day, as a transitional day because my prayer for this morning is that for some, today might be the first day to the rest of a life of deep intimacy with God in prayer. Lord willing, you leave knowing how glorious of a gift prayer is and how life-transforming prayer can be if you pray. So, up front, let's just go ahead and ease the tension, okay? If I gave everyone in here a survey, and there was one question on the survey, question, is your prayer life where you want it to be? Let's just go ahead and say it up front, that the overwhelming majority of us, if not all of us, would say no. My prayer life is not where I want it to be. Because every single one of us already knows, and in fact, God knows that our prayer life could be better. We know we could pray more. God knows we could pray more. But God's heart is not for you to just sit in condemnation over how much you haven't prayed or don't pray to this point, but rather his heart is for you to know his love for you and draw nearer to him than you ever have before. This is not a time to say, man, I really need to pray more. I need to do this. I need to do that. If at any point you think that way this morning, I just want to encourage you. Take that thought captive and remember that the Father prunes us so that we might bear more fruit. Maybe this acknowledgement is a pruning for you to bear more fruit this morning. And his desire for you this morning is not to sit in condemnation, condemnation but to grow. Grow. Because he's sanctifying each one of us in his own time and in his own way. So, draw near. Come to him. Not not coming to him so that he might browbeat us or manipulate us or condemn us. Draw near to God this morning, and he will draw near to you afresh. So, with that being said, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing. Other translations say, pray constantly. Or others, unceasingly pray. 
Now, instead of starting at the surface and then digging in, I actually want to begin at the deeper level with this verse, and then we can work our way back up to the surface. Because I think that starting from the surface would start us off on the wrong foot. But starting deeper, I think, will actually change the way that we pray. Okay? So I've got four points for us this morning from this text, and I'll give them to you as we go. The first point is this. Praying without ceasing is possible. It's possible. Prayer at the most basic level is talking to God. Okay? Prayer can consist of a lot of different things like praise, confession of sin, thanksgiving, supplications, intercessions. The list could go on and on if you just simply look at all the times that people pray in the New Testament and what they pray for. But at the same time, at the most basic level, prayer is simply talking to God. Talking to God. The first instance of prayer we actually see in the Bible is between the first man, Adam. Moses writes that that God would walk with Adam in the cool of the day. God would speak to Adam and Adam would speak to him. And brief note about, about this language, God walked. This is anthropomorphic language. That's just a big word that attributes uh, human characteristics to something that God does. Because as we know from the scriptures, God is spirit. He doesn't have body parts. But the scriptures over and over say things like, like his outstretched hand, his arm, his, his nostrils. But he doesn't have any of those things because he's a spirit. But it says this to describe his actions. But God speaking isn't necessarily anthropomorphic because God has a voice. He's a speaking God after all. His word created the heavens and the earth. All that is, is because God spoke it into existence. He created man. Not to live in quiet isolation apart from him, but to be in communication, in relationship with their creator, a direct relationship with their creator. But if we look around today, we can tell that something must have gone awry. So what happened? Well, God created us to be in intimate relationship with him, to commune with him, but the world is in complete chaos. So what happened? What happened, and we all know what happened. What happened was that God commanded Adam and his wife Eve not to eat from a certain tree in the Garden of Eden, this this temple, so to speak, this perfect dwelling place that God made, that he designed for human flourishing so that he could dwell with us, where he would dwell with us in perfect communion. But they disobeyed, and they ate the fruit. And ever since then, talking with God has been difficult and confusing, and if not impossible, Until now. Until now. Praying without ceasing is possible because of what God has done. Okay? You see, our sin, we know this, has separated us from our loving God. But on that day when sin and darkness entered into this world, God made a promise to reconcile his relationship with fallen humanity. And that promise was fulfilled in, guess who? The person of Jesus. Jesus lived a perfect life in order to fulfill the law's requirements to be in right standing with God, to be in right relationship with God. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty that we owed for our sin so that when God looks at us, it's no longer in wrath, but it's in grace and love as children. Jesus effectively bridges that separation that we saw began in Genesis chapter 3. He bridges the distance between us and our creator, to restore what sin and death and the devil had taken from us. That is a direct relationship with our God. Then Jesus rose from the dead, giving us eternal life, right, so that we could walk in the newness of life today. Not just then, but today, like Jesus, empowered by his spirit until the final day when we see our God face to face. When that veil is removed and we behold him with his glory and we rejoice for eternity and we'll be just like him, glorified in new bodies like him, worshiping in his presence, unmediated forever because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, everything's changed. Jesus made prayer possible. Okay? Think about when Christ hung on the cross. As he bowed his head and breathed his last, what are some of the things that happened? Well, a lot of dead people rose to life. That's one thing. But particularly for our 
context this morning, the temple curtain tore in two. What was that the curtain for? The Holy of Holies. It's important because that curtain was the only thing separating us from the presence of God. The Holy of Holies, direct communion with God. And only the high priest was allowed to enter there and only once a year. But our great high priest, the Lord Jesus, the only mediator between God and man, has now paved the way by his blood to enter into the presence of God with confidence. To approach God the Father directly, covered in the blood of Jesus that cleanses me and washes me white as snow in the name of Jesus and be in direct relationship with the Father. Think about what we've learned in Galatians. Galatians 3 into 4. We've been made sons and daughters of God the Father by faith in the Lord Jesus. We've been made heirs with Christ of the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit now lives in us, now cries out from within us this familial cry of a child, this personal, intimate cry, Abba, Father. We're no longer separated from God. In fact, we are closer to God than we ever were or ever could be in the Lord Jesus. Church, hear me when I say this. The gospel isn't simply a transaction. Jesus died and rose so I could have eternal life. Absolutely, that is true. But there's so much more to the depths and the glory of the gospel. Because of what Jesus has done, he reconciled us to God today. We can enjoy this reconciliation today. We have access to the throne of grace today. We have direct connection to our Heavenly Father today. We don't have to wait until the end when we see Him face to face. We can come to our Father right now. We can enjoy Him as our Father right now. We can speak with our Father right now. We can hear from our Father right now. All thanks to the Lord Jesus. Because what did Jesus say? I'm the narrow gate. And anybody who passes through this narrow gate comes into the gloriously green pastures of our good shepherd and the shepherd knows his sheep and the sheep know their shepherd's voice. Praying without ceasing is possible, not just because of what God has done, but also because of what God himself is doing right now. Think about this. Where is Jesus now? Jesus sits God the Son sits at the right hand of the Father. And what is he doing? He's functioning as our great high priest. He is praying for us. He's interceding for us and our every need right now in heaven at the right hand of God. And in John 17, we actually find that Jesus prayed for us during his earthly ministry, let alone his continual intercession for us in the ear of the Father, at the Father's right hand right now. Jesus prayed for us while he was alive. Jesus prays for us now. God the Spirit, Romans 8, who has made his, his residence now, he lives in us now, intercedes with groanings too deep for words from within us, our deepest needs that we don't even know, that we don't even know that we need. God knows that we need it, and he intercedes for us with those groanings, and he gives them to the Father, those that we don't even know how to articulate, we've never even prayed before, he does so in perfect accord with the will of God. Who knows how to pray better than God? Church, the Son and the Spirit pray for you right now. The Son in heaven and the Spirit from within you. Press that truth into your heart, and let that truth bring you assurance that, Romans 8, all things really do work, to, work together for the good of those who are called according to his purposes. If the Son and the Spirit are praying for me, I better believe that promise is true, that all things really are going to be working together for my good, whether I ask for it or not, because God is doing this for me. He's doing it himself right now. Praying without ceasing is possible, not just because of what God himself is doing, but because of what God is doing in us. Remember, the Spirit lives in us. Again, think back to all that we've learned about the Holy Spirit from the book of Galatians. By faith, the Holy Spirit empowers us to obedience. And lo and behold, God commands us to pray. The Spirit empowers us. He gives us new desires. He'll give you the desire to pray. Have you asked him for that desire? 
The Holy Spirit who empowers obedience will compel us until we pray. Have you asked him to compel you? The Holy Spirit who intercedes for us even now when we don't even know what to pray for as we ought will bring to our minds what we ought to pray. Have you asked the Holy Spirit what you ought to pray? If you haven't noticed, our main focus so far has just been on what our triune God has done and is doing and will do. Our triune God who's orchestrated all things so that through faith in Christ's finished work, we would be reconciled to the Father. We would have direct access to him in Christ and through Christ's work. We would have his spirit inside of us. We are temples of the living God. What did people do in the temple? They talked with God. Now every believer, a walking temple of the Holy Spirit, every believer, a son and a daughter of the King, every believer has direct access to the Father because we are his children and we are needy children praying without ceasing is possible because we are dependent on God for all things we are dependent beings God created us to be that way if you're here and you think you can live your life without God let today be the day that you realize that the very breath you are breathing right now in your seat is a gift from God The blood that's pumping through your veins is a gift from God. There's not one thing that we have that was not given to us. Our life, our breath, our heart that's working, our bones that are functioning, the job that we have, the the shelter that we have above us, the water that we drink, the food that we're going to eat, all of it is a gift from our God. Our merciful God makes the the sun shine on the wicked and on the righteous. It's by God's grace alone that any one of us are here or in the world are alive this morning because of God. God is so good, even to those who don't deserve it. As Christians, we just realize we really don't deserve it. We don't deserve God's goodness, but thanks be to God for the mercy and the grace and the compassion that he's poured out on us in Christ Jesus by faith. We are dependent beings, but the problem is that not all of us Run to God with those needs. Apart from Christ, without Christ, what did we run to? What did you run to? What is your, what is your testimony? What did you run to? Did you run to drugs? Did you run to relationships? Did you run to that job? Did you run to your family? Did you run to your career? Fill in the blank of whatever you tried to seek after to satisfy those needs, to get what you needed. But guess what? It never does. It never did. However, in Christ... There is fullness of joy because in Christ, we have the fullness of God. And through Christ, we can now run directly to the Father with all of our needs because he alone can fulfill them. Why else would he tell us in his word, Philippians 4, pray, pray to the Lord and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Or 1 Peter 5, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he might exalt you, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. If you haven't come to Christ this morning, come to him because your greatest need is Jesus. He's the greatest need. And he's the need that will satisfy every other need. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, all these other needs, they will be given to you. But to the non-believer, the first step is just going to Jesus. Just go to Jesus. He will satisfy. When you're having conversations with friends, when you're having conversations with with non-believers, just say, hey, just go to Jesus. Ask him. Ask Jesus. The call, though, here to seek the kingdom first, that still applies to the believer, though. We seek first. First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Do you do that? Do you seek God, his kingdom, and his righteousness first? Last one here. Prayer without ceasing is possible because we need it a lot. We need to pray a lot. The reality is that we have more than enough needs than the time to pray for those needs. We have more than enough needs to pray without ceasing. We could spend every second of every day praying and praying and not finish the list of our daily needs, let alone those of our future, let alone those for others or anything else. But the point I want to make is this. In Christ, you have the Father's ear. 
His ear is inclined to you. And the Father knows what you need before you ask him. But he still commands us to ask. And that's because he loves you. And he wants you to personally know his love for you. Which leads us to the second. Praying without ceasing. This is what I really want you to see this morning. Praying without ceasing is an invitation. It's an invitation. Usually, when I've heard sermons on prayer, it's really heavy on the doo-doo side. Anybody ever heard sermons like that on prayer? Do-do this, do-do that. And I've heard a lot of sermons like that. You need to do this, you need to do that, some doo-doo sermons. But I can tell you this, both from the scriptures and from my experience, you will not pray simply because someone tells you you got to pray. You will not pray simply because someone tells you how important prayer is. You won't pray even when somebody tells you about what prayer is. Prayer is the work of the Holy Spirit as much as it is a conscious choice for you to obey. It takes the Spirit of God to create in you a desire to pray, to work that out. And we'll get to practicals in a minute, but I want to stop and point something out that, that many of us miss in the Christian life. Prayer is an invitation to intimacy with your Father. You could pray more or pray less and be a Christian. You could pray more or pray less and be in right standing with God and receive eternal life. You could pray more or pray less and the Father would still father you. You would still be a co-heir with Jesus and the Spirit would still reside in you. But if you don't pray, you will not enjoy the intimacy, the unity, the familial, heartwarming, soul-enriching love of the Father for you today right now, like you could if you would pray. Over and over in the, uh, over and over in the Gospels, we see Jesus, the God-man, remember? The exemplary of what it means to walk by the Spirit, to know God and to love, to love God, to love others. Jesus himself being empowered by the same Holy Spirit that, that you and I are empowered by right now. We see Jesus spending his whole day, almost every day, for three years of ministry, going, going, going. He's, he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. He's cleansing lepers. He's sitting down for meals. He's sitting down to teach. He's tossing tables and rebuking the religious elites who thought they knew the Father but were far from him. And after all these long days of ministry, what does Jesus do? Does he get up a cup of tea and sit and say, I don't have enough time to pray? I'm pretty tired. I've been doing a lot of ministry. No, Jesus prays. He goes away to desolate places to be with his father and pray. I have food you don't know about, he said to his disciples. My food is to do my father's will. Jesus, in John 15, tells his disciples, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Do you think that Jesus abided in his Father's love? Yes. How did he abide? By spending time with him. Jesus abided in the Father's love, and so should we. Jesus, in, in John 17, lets us, lets us peer into his heart as he's pouring out his heart in prayer to his Father, this high priestly prayer. And what does he say? He says, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. It's an invitation to know the love of God. Praying without ceasing is an invitation to truly know and experience the height, the breadth, and the depth of the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. If I was to, to ask you right now, does God love you? Many of you would be able to quote Bible verse after Bible verse about the doctrine of sonship, uh, redemption, God is my father, I'm his child. You can say all of this from memory. But if I was to ask you if you really knew his love for you, some of you would hesitate. Some of you would say, no. But I want you to know this morning that God's love is deep. His compassion is real. It is rich 
and as a son or daughter of God, you can know and feel the depths of God's love for you in your chest. In a way that there is no doubt whatsoever that the Father's heart is for you because you feel his love for you. Same way parents feel love for their children, you feel love for your parents. Imagine a perfect love residing right here that never goes away. You know his Father, the Father's love for you. Praying without ceasing is an invitation to know God on a deep, personal level, to know his heart, to develop his heart within you, and, and for him and for your neighbor, it all goes back to prayer, talking to God. Jesus has changed everything about how we relate to God. We have no need for a high priest to stand in the way, mediating for us. We have no need for a king to guide us in his ways. We have no need for a prophet to intercede for us and tell us what he says because we can all hear from the Father ourselves in Christ the Son, the Messiah, who has broken down the wall of hostility between us, each other, and the Lord. And again, in John 15, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I've made known to you. And what does the Spirit do when he comes? He brings to remembrance everything that Jesus has taught us. We are friends of God now. The Lord is your friend. And what do friends do? They spend time with one another. They desire one another for the company. They spend time with one another, not for what they get out of it, but for the simple enjoyment of the person. Do you believe that God wants to spend time with you? He does because he loves you and you're his child. You are a friend of God. But I want to encourage you with, what I want to encourage you here with actually is a paradigm shift to how you view prayer. We tend to view prayer as a list that we just say out loud to God of all the things that we need. And then we move on with our day. We checked off the prayer list and we go forward with our day. But I want to encourage you, if you don't already think this way, with a new way of thinking about prayer. We shouldn't think about prayer as a list, but as an opportunity for intimacy with God. An opportunity to know God, not to just know about God. You can know all the right doctrine in the world, but not know God. I want to encourage you this morning that the Father is inviting you, he's inviting us to know him in prayer, to enjoy him through prayer. To spend time with him for him. Not for things, not for the things he can give us or anything else that we need. But just to be with him because he's our father and he loves us. And we love him. This will change the way that you pray. And I actually believe it will change your entire life. I believe it will change your entire life. This is what I believe the father wants for us as his children. He did not leave us as orphans. He's with us. He's always with us, right? Right? He's, om he's omnipresent theologically. We get that, right? But did anybody feel God right now this morning? He's with us everywhere, isn't he? I think that that's true, but I think that our awareness of his presence is what needs to change. Our awareness that God is here, he's with us. Our awareness of God with you and, and what needs to change is that awareness and that can only happen by spending time in prayer with him. But it's worth every second, church. Let me give you an example. Since, um, since coming to RBC, it's actually, I'm not ashamed because God is good and we're all in a process. Since coming to RBC, I've actually learned how to pray. I didn't pray before I got here. Hard to believe it, right? You've been a Christian for a long time. You go to seminary. You study the Bible all day, every day, all week long, and then you don't pray. Yeah, it's sad. I'm sad to say it's actually a plague that hits too many of us. It might even hit you right now. But over the past two years, I've really just started to prioritize intimacy with God over asking God. And I've grown in my prayer. I have started praying James 4, 1 Peter 5, and other James 15, uh, John 15, John 17. And over time, I just began to enjoy prayer time, not because I like the words that come out of my mouth, but because I enjoy God. I love God, and I feel his love for me, and it's proven so fruitful, just reorienting my posture of prayer. Less of God give me this, and more of God give me you. And over time, being closer and closer to him, I do recognize a huge shift 
in my affections, not only for him, but for other people, for you, for other Christians, for people who don't know him. I actually feel like I started loving for the first time other people the way that Jesus loved them. So my encouragement for you is pray for deeper intimacy with God and pursue him there. Pursue him there. Number three, praying without ceasing is effective. Prayer works, church, because God works. And it's our Father who we're talking to. Prayer works because God works, and I believe the opposite is true. God works because prayer works. God answers the prayers of his people. Hear me. We serve a sovereign God who's orchestrated the movement of his hand throughout the history of mankind on the prayers of his people. God wouldn't command us to pray if prayer was a waste of time. If, it was, if asking was a waste of time, he wouldn't have told us to keep asking. If knocking was a waste, if seeking was a waste, he wouldn't have done it. God wants our hearts, and commanding us to pray puts us in a position of dependency. We must seek God for our needs, not things in this world. We go to him with our hearts laid bare. We come to him, and we lay our requests at his feet, and we humbly ask him. And we say, Lord, would you answer me in the day when I call? Would you hear my pleas? And guess what, church? Overwhelmingly, the Bible tells us he hears. He hears. Some of you might actually be praying and you're doubting God even hears you. He hears you. Every prayer he hears. Prayer works. And here are, I actually think, four problems that I've seen in my own life with prayer. I assume you might have had these problems too. Maybe it's just me. Number one, we don't ask. We don't ask. James 4.2 says, you do not have because you don't ask. <laughs> it's not enough to just doctrinally agree that God knows what we need and will give us what we need, but not ask. It is good and right and commanded of us to ask. Some of us know what we need. We know we need to bring it to God in prayer, but we don't. We don't ask him. We don't pray. We don't ask God for what we need. And in love, church, I want to tell you, if you don't ask God, you should not expect to receive. Ask God. Let me give you a little, little example real quick. I have two sons. Which one of these would you be more inclined to answer? Both of them come to me and they have a need. One of them says, you're sovereign. You can do it. I trust you. But the other one says, dad, I need this, dad. I need it right now. Please give this to me. I need this. Can you give me this thing? You're good. You love me. You care for me. I need this. You can do it. Which one would I be more inclined as an earthly father to give? The gift to. Not saying I don't love him, more or less. But he's been asking me. He's been pouring his heart out, asking me for weeks, for months, for years, for decades. I'd be more inclined to give this to him. And I'm an earthly father. Wicked. How much more our heavenly father will give good things to those who ask him? Number two, we don't believe. Here's a problem with prayer. So one, we don't ask. Two, we don't believe that we will receive what we ask. So maybe you do ask, but you don't ask, actually believe that God's going to give anything to you. But church, God's word actually tells you the opposite. It tells you something different. Matthew 17, 20. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Matthew 21, 22. Whatever you ask in prayer. How much is whatever? Whatever. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Luke 11, verse 9, Jesus says, I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Last one, Matthew 7, 11. If you then, like I quoted this earlier, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Church, this is not hopeful expectation from the Lord Jesus. These are promises. These are promises. You will receive, he says. You will find. It will be open to you if you have faith when you ask. This shows us you can have more or less faith when you pray. Help our unbelief, Lord, when we pray. You can believe more or believe less that you will receive something. And Jesus here is telling us to pray in faith that we will receive what we ask. Do you trust Jesus' words?
we like to caveat these verses a lot. We like to say, oh, well, you know, sovereignty. But listen to Jesus. He says what he says. Ask and it will be given. Do you trust him? Number three, we stop asking. We don't ask. We believe we're not going to get what we ask. We stop asking. Some of us believe when we pray that God will give us what we ask, but we grow weary of praying when we don't get it because we're weak. We're finite. But listen to me. Luke chapter 18, the parable of the persistent widow. This is what Jesus says. The first line, beautiful, love it. He says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Isn't our God gracious? So gracious. He knows how weak we are. He knows our frame. He's dealt with the same kind of struggle as a man. And then what happens in that parable? The widow goes to a wicked king over and over and over and over, persistently asking him for justice. And he gives it, not because he's good. He hates God and hates people, but he answers her. How much more our Heavenly Father? So my encouragement there is keep asking. Keep asking, and the Lord will answer you. If it's a no, it's an answer. And he will make it clear to you. If it's a yes, you'll receive it. Either way, you will receive an answer. We have to be persistent in prayer. We cannot give up. Paul says in Colossians 4, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Prayer is toilsome. It's tough. It's long-suffering. We need to be ready and willing to seek God in prayer until we get the answer. Yes or no? Number four, we ask wrongly. We ask wrongly. James 4.3, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Notice, asking wrongly revolves around selfishness. It sounds a lot like, my will, Lord, this for me, Lord, in this way, I want what I want. 1 John 5 says, this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we've asked of him. Now, in 1 John 5, hear this. Those requests that we have are the requests that he hears, a.k.a. the requests that are made in accordance with his will. We need to be people who ask rightly. How do we do that? How can we ensure that we are praying rightly, that we are asking God's will after all, right? None of us knows the mind of God. His thoughts are above ours. His ways are above ours. We don't know God's will because we cannot see it right now in totality, but we can ask him. So I would encourage you, to start with how Jesus taught to pray. Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Where does that prayer start? Eyes on God, hearts on him. Lead us not into temptation because we're weak, we're frail. We sin, but deliver us from evil. Your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I would start there. Learn how to pray there. Learn how to pray like this. And then I would say the rest of James 4, because James 4 teaches us to draw near to God in prayer in a posture of humility. Think of Jesus. He did this. What does he do in the Garden of Gethsemane? Three times. Three times he says, Lord, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass. That was Jesus's desire. But guess what his greatest desire was? What did he finish each prayer with? Nevertheless, your will be done. Learn to pray like this. The more you spend time in prayer with God, the more you will develop his heart because you are going to be around him more. You're going to know him more. You're going to know his love more. And the more you develop God's heart, the more you will ask according to his will because his desires are going to become your desires and you're going to ask for what he wants, not what you want. And the more you ask according to his will for what he wants, the more you're going to see God answer your prayers in and around you. Prayer is effective when you are praying with God's heart for God's glory. And you start to really see answers when you ask God to do what he's ready to do. Here's another story. I hope it encourages you. A few weeks ago, I had an opportunity to share the gospel with, with a neighbor of mine. 
Now, he's a nominal Hindu. I didn't know there were nominal Hindus, but apparently you can be a nominal anything. He's a nominal Hindu. But I shared Jesus with him. Started talking about his story, hearing about his life. He brought up that he's not really practicing, but he believes in God's things like that. And then I asked to pray for him. So my encouragement to you, great way to evangelize somebody, just go and ask to pray for him. What can I pray for you about? So I asked him, hey, I talked to Jesus. Can I pray for you? He was like, sure. So he said, good work. And then he said, I've been having trouble sleeping at night. Could you pray for my sleep? 100%, man. Put my hands on him. Jesus, I pray in your name that you give my friend good rest tonight when he lays his head down. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I texted him the following day. Another encouragement, follow up with people that you pray for. You never know what God's going to do, so follow up. Texted him the next day, and I said, hey, how you feeling, man? How was sleep? He goes, it's actually great. Thank you. I was like, yeah, it was. Have a good week. I actually used that opportunity to text him, hey, isn't it crazy how we prayed in Jesus' name and you started sleeping well? That's cool. You should check this out, share the gospel again. Well, a week goes by. I see him again, and I say, hey, how are you sleeping, man? He's like, oh, I'm not sleeping well. I said, okay. We prayed the first time for Jesus to give you good sleep. Maybe you'll do it again. Can I pray for you? Sure. Okay. Jesus, would you give my friends sleep? Good rest tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Next day, I texted him. Guess what he said? Nine out of ten, Caleb. Great sleep. Wow. Glory to God. Awesome. So a few weeks go by. I'm feeling really pressed to give him a Bible. Really pressed. Lord wouldn't leave me alone. And so I'm home. I bring a Bible home. And then, you know, it was supposed to come over for dinner. It didn't work out. He canceled, but it was his last day because he was moving the next day. And I said, I got to do this. It's always good to inconvenience yourself for Jesus. Always inconvenience yourself for Jesus. So it was like 930 at night. I underlined all these verses in John about Jesus' deity, all this, write a note. And I said, you're going to go to a place without peace, and you're going to want peace that Jesus can only give, and you're going to find him in this book. And I gave it, and I walked over his door, and I knocked on his door, and I walked in, and I started talking to him, and I shared the gospel with him at first. And then I said, hey, here's a Bible. wanted to give that to you. And he said, oh, thank you so much for being my friend. Thank you for this, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and then I said, can I, can I pray for you? Pray for him again. And then I take a step back, and all of a sudden, are you feeling any pain in your neck? The word neck just came out of my mouth. I don't know where it came from. But he looked at me, and his mind was blown. He said, how do you know? How do you know my neck's in pain? Like, sometimes when I pray for people, Jesus gives me something for them. So can I pray for you? Sure. So I put my hand on his neck, and I pray for his neck to be healed. And God healed his neck right there. And he looked at me, and he was flabbergasted. He didn't know what to do. And he said, I'm, I'm going to take that Bible, and, and I'm going to read that Bible when I go home. And, and he's like, thank you so much, Caleb. And I was like, Jesus is real, man. You're going to go to a bunch of idols, and they're never going to give you what they say they'll give you. But Jesus will find him. And I got his, he got my email. And uh, he texted me, and he made it home safe. Jesus healed him right there. Prayer works because God works. We need to pray first and foremost because of the joy and love that's available for the children of the Father. We need to pray also that the Lord would do what only He can do for His glory and for the good of all those who come in contact with us. Because we love God so much and God loves other people so much that we can just go and we can love them exactly where they are and exactly the way that we need to. And sometimes you only know how to do that because you've spent a lot of time with the Lord yourself. Last point, number four. Praying without ceasing is a command. This is the surface. This is what most sermons start with. It's a command. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Thessalonica, a church in need of hope. Anybody need hope? They were in need of hope in unsettling circumstances. And guess what he does at the very end? He points them to the prayer closet, pray without ceasing. First, we come to that word, adileptos, unceasingly. So to be clear, I haven't been clear yet, but to be clear, this doesn't mean the expectation is that every waking moment of every day, you are in the prayer closet on your knees praying, because that's not real life. Jesus didn't do that. So how did Jesus do it? Well, Jesus was always constantly in a state of prayerfulness with his Father talking with his father. Don Whitney, in his book, Spiritual Discipline, says this, praying without ceasing means you never really stop conversing with God. You simply have frequent interruptions. This is the kind of praying that we are called to as, as believers, a steady, constant state of prayer in our heart to God. 
And then we come to the second word in the verse, prosukeste, which is pray. Pray. And it's in the imperative. All imperatives, okay, sorry, it's in the imperative. Paul actually closes out this letter with multiple imperatives. He says, um, sorry, I'm missing my spot. He closes the letter with all these imperatives. They're all imperatives, actually. And Paul's expectation is that the church is going to obey what he says. The expectation is the same for us. When we come across imperatives in the scriptures, it doesn't matter how we feel about it. It doesn't matter what we think. If the scriptures command us to do it, then we need to do it. So what do we do with Paul's imperative to pray without ceasing? We obey. We pray. Rejoice always is an imperative. We do that. Pray without ceasing. Um, do, not dis- do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Imperative, imperative, imperative. We obey the Lord's word. And in this case, we pray. My hope, though, after starting deep and then coming back to the surface with this verse is that you actually recognize the beauty of this text. If we just focus on the command, it will lead us into dull, lifeless, careless praying. I've prayed prayers like that. If you pray simply out of duty, you miss the point of prayer. But if you pray out of delight, you will enjoy prayer with your Father to its fullest degree the way that He wants you to. Because you'll have Him and He's all that you need. So yes, church, You should pray without ceasing because it's a command. But with all the background in mind that we've talked about through this morning, my prayer is that you would do so not simply because you have a lot of needs and God commands you to tell them all the needs, but because praying without ceasing is an invitation to deep fellowship with God who empowers you to pray for all those things you need and is willing and is able to answer your prayers when you ask Him because He loves you and He delights in you as a child. And he loves listening and giving good gifts to his children when they ask. So be an asker. Spend time with God in prayer. If you've never prayed like this before, there's no time like today. And I believe it's actually God's gift to you that you see this today so that you might just enjoy that kind of prayer for the rest of your life. There are people here all over the spectrum on prayer. And I know that. So I want to close with with some practical encouragements for four types of people, okay? The first person here is a person who has never prayed or doesn't pray. And my encouragement to you is start. Praying without stopping starts with stopping to pray. Just pray. And a couple of things, schedule it. People say this stuff all the time. If you uh, fail to plan, you plan to fail. Schedule time in prayer. Set aside time to pray. Here's another one. Pray through the scriptures. Open the Bible and just pray. Prayer isn't Bible reading. They're different, but they can lead to each other. Praying through the scriptures also helps us to develop God's heart in our prayers because we're praying his word from our lips, his desires, revealed desires from our lips. And third thing, pray with a partner. It's always easier to do things with a friend. Hold each other accountable. Second person, those who pray but feel cold, lifeless, discouraged, and are tempted to stop praying. I would encourage you to spend this next season, I don't know how long it's going to be for you, this next season, focusing on intimacy and worship and prayer before petition, before supplication. Stop asking God for things and start asking God for God. It's thoroughly biblical to ask God for more of himself. Luke eleven thirteen. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? I'm asking for God. Paul says in Ephesians five eighteen, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. That implies that you can be less filled or more filled, and this implies that you might need more filling. And the only way you're going to get more filling is if you ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. And you don't get more unless you ask. So ask. Ask him to meet you where you are. Lord, help me to feel your presence as I'm praying. Lord, fill me with your joy. Lord, restore to me that intimacy that I had with you before that I don't don't know where it went. I don't know why it's gone. But restore to me that intimacy that I felt with you before. Even confession. Lord, I confess I'm cold. I confess that means I'm the problem. You're not the problem. I'm the problem. 
And then ask the Lord. If you feel cold, ask, ask the Holy Spirit why. Why am I cold? Ask him to reveal that problem to you. Lord, why am I cold? Why is prayer lifeless for me? Then listen. And I pray that the Spirit meets you there. Because he is the comforter and he is the helper. And he helps us in our weakness because he knows exactly what we need to pray. Number three, people who do pray but aren't seeing answers to their prayers. First question would just be this. Are you asking rightly? We just want to make sure our hearts are right before God. With God's heart for God's will. That comes with time. And if yes, if you spent time with the Lord, you've come to know the Lord's heart, you're asking him for his will, for his glory, then trust him. Trust his timing. His heart is not to leave you confused. His heart is not to bait you and then switch you. His heart is not that you would doubt his love or care for you or his willingness to answer your prayers. His heart is to work all things together for good for those who've been called according to his purposes. His heart is to give you good gifts when you ask. So I would speak truth to myself and remind myself who God is, what his heart is, even in the midst of seemingly unanswered prayers, and then to keep asking until the answer becomes clear. And maybe there is an answer. It just might not be the one that I wanted. But the answer is clear. And on the tail end of that, I would encourage you to ask the Spirit to further shape your desires to be His desires so that when you pray, you're praying in accordance with what the Lord desires to answer. That's a good prayer. God, make me ask what you want to answer. Great prayer to pray. Last person, those who are praying without ceasing. Keep praying. Keep laboring in prayer. The temptation is going to be to grow weary. And it might actually hit you from weird angles, okay? Something that I just experienced recently, the Lord just answered a ton of prayers that I've been praying for a while over and over again. Just boom, 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 one after another. And the temptation afterward hit me when I prayed another prayer and I didn't see the answer. Lord, I just prayed this, but you haven't answered me yet. Why not? You see, the temptation actually came from my expectation that the Lord would answer in the same way this time as he answered all of those other prayers the other times. But that's not how it works. God answers in his time, his perfect time, and sometimes the Lord delays the answer because his desire is for you to draw nearer and nearer to him because that's where he wants you to be. Come after him for the answer. Seek him for the answer. Find him. So draw near. That should be our main focus anyway because being near God means having peace. And it means having the endurance to actually wait for the answers because you trust the one who you ask. And he's going to give it just when you need it. So as you continue to pray, I would encourage you, go deeper and deeper with God. Draw nearer and nearer. Ask, seek, knock, pursue after him in faith. Ask bigger prayers of God. Expect big things from God. Do big things for God. And obey the scriptures when they say, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Let's pray.